you're going to edit all this together, right? Is that how you do it, or do you just do one take? I typically don't edit unless okay. somebody says something entirely stupid. Oh, okay. And then I'll edit that out. We'll be editing the <laughs> we'll editing that's a lot, yeah. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Salty Nerd Podcast. I am your host, the Salty Nerd, and today is a new beginning for the SMP. We are doing a weekly show. We will be discussing weekly movie news and all that kind of cool stuff. And I am joined by author of the Earthman Jack po- podcast, Earthman Jack novels, uh, Matthew Kadish. I wish there was a podcast for Earthman Jack. <laughs> I'd listen to it. Someday. What's be... Earthman Jack? I never heard of that show. Oh, shut oh, up. Is it a show or It's a his book? book. Oh, it's his book. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> and I am joined by the always snarky matt vader 74 <laughs> good morning matt what's up good morning sir how are you i'm doing all right uh, me too I'm, I'm getting the coffee going and, and, and we, we all got we'll our coffee here yeah. a little bit yeah it's hey, gonna be fun I'm gonna... can the mic pick this up yes yeah gotta, <laughs> get, you gotta get the brain engaged so thank you for shaking your ice yeah. cups in front of me <laughs> those nerd soup guys are too classy for the, that's, uh, that's the right. ice coffee bose, bose he's a hard ass man he uh, no free ads he doesn't let anybody their phones go off he freaks out i've heard it <laughs> I got my phone silenced right I now. I do too. All right, so everyone's on their phones right now. Enough nonsense. We're I'm trying to find the show notes. It's like we're like we're trying to do a podcast. Everyone's just on Twitter. <laughs> I can't find the um, the show notes that I sent you guys last week or this week. Anyway, oh there it is. No, that's not it. Scroll up about. I have them memorized. If you need them, that's okay. I can figure it out. First thing we're going to be talking about today is. The Amazon TV show Carnival Carnival Row. We're going to be doing a little discussion slash review of the TV show with Orlando Bloom and the chick from Valerian and a thousand. All eight episodes. Some people might better know her as the chick from Suicide Squad. Oh yes, that oh yeah, the 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 belly dancing villain. Yes, the uh, the witch. (laughs) Oh, is that where we saw her? Yeah, she's the witch. I thought I saw her on something before, but you know, what was her name in the movie Sorceress? Yeah, that what it was. She was the sorceress, really. Yeah, she was the sorceress. I just watched that on TV like two nights ago, and I didn't even recognize her. She's a very recognizable person. Like she has a very distinct look, which actually fits this show really well. She looks like a fairy. She's model. She does. Yeah, cast that well. Anyway, what do you guys think of it? First, just general thoughts. Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? So um, this show is actually executive produced by uh, someone who worked on Deep Space Nine. Uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. It's uh, um, He was one of the guys who uh, was heavily involved with uh, the Star Trek show, Deep Space Nine. And he's a very good writer. Uh, he's a very good showrunner. And so I was expecting a lot from uh, this Amazon original series, and I, I got to sit down and binge it over my vacation, which was nice. And uh, I have mixed feelings about it, hmm. to tell you the truth. Like, if, if on a five-star scale, I'd probably give it three stars, which is decent. Um, so it's it's a perfectly fine kind of steampunky fantasy story. Um, and basically the setup, you know, without going into spoilers, it's, it's the uh, there's this fantasy land where humans have discovered uh, fairies Mm -hmm. and the the two big human kingdoms in the world uh, fight a a war over conquering the fairy land and the fairies kind of get caught up in in the middle of it and the good guys lose. The bad guys basically conquer fairy land and so there's a bunch of mystical uh, creature refugees that go to the side that lost and it's kind of an allegory for immigration and Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of other stuff. Um, but it's basically Victorian steampunk England uh, with fantasy creatures. Yeah, stuff like uh, like uh, centaurs and fa- and fae and uh, 
you know, a little, uh, little fairy, miniature yeah, fairies. I think there's some kobolds in there somewhere, yeah. which yeah. are like little goblin guys yeah. if you don't know what they are. Yeah, and, and I forget uh, what the, the puck-like creatures are, the ones with the horns and the hooves. Yeah. Um, but uh, so like there's a, there's a whole bunch of various fantasy creatures. Uh, there's a little bit of a hint at magic, even though it's not heavily used in, mm-hmm. in the show. It, there's a lot of politics involved. Yes, um, I know. So, yeah, it was cool. So basically, it, it's it's all the elements of Deep Space Nine translated <laughs> to Victorian England. Um, but uh, the the acting in the show is top notch. The set design, the look and feel of it is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, uh, the characters and the writing, for the most part, I thought were were pretty decent. There were a few kind of missteps in there. Um, Rene Echeverria, yeah, that, that's the guy. Um, he uh, he's the one who kind of uh, was the brains behind this show, and uh, uh, the th- I love Victorian style steampunky stuff like uh, you know Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. um, and the crux of this show is based around uh, a mystery, mm-hmm. and Orlando Bloom plays this cop who is investigating a, a series of attacks in Carnival Row, which is where all the mystical creature immigrants have kind of uh, congregated. And it faces like you know a lot of uh, prejudice from the police, mm-hmm. and uh, there's uh, another subplot with uh, um, Kara Evangeline. Is that her name? Clara Evangeline? No idea. The girl. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> the girl from Valerian and, and yeah, okay. Suicide Squad. Um, uh, and so basically, she uh, uh, plays this fairy that. Uh, finally gets to Carnival Row after leaving her homeland, and her and Orlando Bloom's character have this history, which kind of unfolds before us uh, as the, the show yeah, goes on. we were talking before. What did you think about having... I'll ask Matt real quick. What did you think about having that, that kind of flashback episode in mid-season, like episode four? So I believe that was episode three, three, of, the, three? of the series. Yeah, um, I, you, I think that was honestly my favorite episode of the entire of the entire uh, series. And, yeah. you know, it was it was really cool in the... And the world building, how they set everything up, and yeah. you know, um, a lot of backstory in that show, you know, and um, it was just, it was, it was interesting. There was some stuff that they put in that 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 episode that I don't even think really had a part in the in this season that will probably get picked up in like the second part more. I actually think that the know, series so. probably should have started with that episode, yeah, um, yeah. because agree. one of my complaints about a lot of these original series. Is that they have these uh, bottleneck uh, flashback episodes to them? Uh, you know, all the Marvel um, t- TV shows on Netflix had this. And um, when you're doing an episodic show week to week, it's not that big of a deal. But when you're doing a, a binge worthy show where you're watching all the episodes, mm-hmm. ha- uh, stopping the forward momentum of the story uh, three or four episodes in to just fill in backstory yeah. uh, kills the, the momentum of the show for me. And I, I feel like like that is what happened with, with this episode, even though I felt like it was probably the most interesting episode of the series because, it, um, it, you know, they kind of thrust you into the story from the, the very beginning and they don't give you a lot of setup right. as to... Like, they have that little opening crawl type thing that right. you kind of yeah. have to read really fast. <laughs> yeah, you have to read it really fast and it's it's like three sentences long. Yeah. So, like, so like, you know, you're kind of introduced to the different aspects of this fantasy world um you know just by being exposed to um, the first couple episodes but the third episode where they do the flashback actually fills in a lot of information about the bad guys the pact right um you know what their um, deal is uh what was going on with the fairies the war 
And I can understand why they set it like a couple episodes in because they wanted to introduce the characters a little bit. Yeah. But I felt like uh, it probably would have been better served if they had found a way to do it early in, in the like in the first episode. I do agree that it is probably one of the better episodes that they have in the show. And I liked it because not only did they kind of explain a little bit more about what was going on in this world and kind of flesh out some of the uh, backstory, but they introduced a lot of elements that they didn't really talk about afterwards was these werewolf people, mm-hmm. right? Or these the humans on the, the pact. Is that what they're called? The pact is the bad guys, yeah. kind of like the Nazi it, it, type it's, thing. It's the pact, P-A-C-K, yeah. I think. And they they have been using these... Uh, they weaponize they werewolves. Weaponize werewolves. <laughs> yeah, that's they, pretty awesome. Yeah, it was yeah. dope. That was a cool yeah. scene. And, and there was also a great scene where they were in a, uh, a blimp, like a yeah. airship. Yeah, yeah and, the airships. And dropping mortars on, right. on a uh, fortified ferry. Yeah, you know, uh, visual place. visually, this this show is oh, it's oh, yeah. top notch. Yeah. You can't you can't beat it. I mean, it's it's movie quality. It, it really is. Yeah, it, the I pucks. Mean, I think the pucks are probably my favorite thing. Is because they the all these actors. I honestly couldn't tell whether it was real prosthetics or if it was some kind of a mix between CGI and prosthetics. Right. But with these horns that they have on their eyes mm. and uh, all the makeup that they had to use, plus their feet, like that was all top notch. I don't I don't know if it was real or if it was CGI, but they did a probably. I think a it was practical. It was practical. Like, yeah. They did a really good job uh, i i loved it. it sold it so well for me the believability of watching these people who are like half ram half people normally if you like try to explain that to somebody you're gonna be like how does that and, and there's a really important character in the show who's a puck yes um, mm-hmm. who, who kind of he, he's like this uh, character who uh became wealthy mm-hmm. um back in the fairylands and he's migrated to uh this kingdom uh basically victorian england and he's trying to break into human society, and yeah. and you get to see like all the prejudice against him and stuff like that. And yeah. he and he's such a smart uh, character, where like you know every time he goes up, we're butts heads with people. Like there's a there's a great scene where they're having tea. Mm-hmm. Like like his uh, he struck a deal with his neighbors who were mm-hmm. in financial straits, where he would agree to invest in one of their business ventures if they helped him, helped kind of ingratiate him into, right. into society. So they invite kind of their upper crust friends over and the friends are kind of taken aback that, that there's a puck there who's not a servant, that yeah. they're actually having tea with this puck. And uh, and one of them tries to be very, uh, I guess, kind of ingratiating where he, he's like, oh, you know, what your people are going through and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the puck's just there and he's like, screw him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's speaking of that. What did you think about that backstory for him, where he was basically he was a, he kind of sold his own kind? Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, I was really surprised that they went there with him because they're they're trying to sell this guy as like being a underdog, right? He's yeah. the hero of the story of this plot line. He's kind of the hero, but when they explain how he got his he's, wealth, he's definitely of a shaky moral yeah, uh, character. Well, it, it, it's one of those so. things where it's like you know the, the Jews that cooperate with the Nazi, type yes. thing, yeah. where basically the only way he could he could thrive in the human world was to sell, sell out, out yeah. his, 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 his people to the humans and collaborate with them. Yeah, the allegory is strong throughout this entire series. When the global supply chain is strained, one essential transportation network continues to keep the economy connected 24-7. That network is freight rail. We're increasing hiring and capacity, all while investing more than $20 billion per year into our network to improve reliability every day. We never stop working to better serve our customers because freight rail works.
Yeah. How did you guys think they handled that on this in this political sphere that we're in today? Well, it's funny because I know that me and Matt talked about this before where Matt didn't like the well, you know, I, political allegory. I, I see a agenda and everything yeah. these days. I just, I just can't <laughs> help it, you know. And uh, I, I think they went a little heavy on the... Uh, yeah, you know, on the allegory, I see a lot of uh, uh, what's the word? A lot of uh, similarities, I think, between what's going on in London and England right now with with the uh, with all the refugees coming mm. up from the from uh, the Middle East. I, I feel like they use that for a lot of inspiration for this show, and that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's, you're not going to get away from that in any new series. I mean, yeah, television's always writers have always used yeah. modern. Yeah, totally. yeah, they're going to use to, they're, to do it, you know. So yeah, they're going to use what they know to inspire them. But, to but write as a the counterpoint yeah. to that, I didn't look at it as a topical thing. Like I, I didn't see the writers and producers sitting around saying, like, you know, I want to make a statement about immigration, and, and we're going to use this show to do that. It <laughs> felt like because you know, whenever you have a, a story about migrants or immigrants or you know an unwanted populace kind of integrating into society. Mm-hmm. Um, you deal with these issues and that's just a a natural kind of element of conflict. And again, I go back to deep space nine because there was that whole thing with uh, the Bajorans and the Cardassians, which it's it's basically the same setup as as this show. So, uh, you know, I I hadn't even really thought about that. Yeah, that's that's, you're 100% correct. Yeah. So I I look at it as more of a um, story element as opposed to a political message. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, this is stuff that Victorian England dealt with, and, and that's kind of what, what it's based off of. And, and there is a very big political subplot in, that goes throughout the story. In fact, I think Jared Harris, who plays the, the kind of prime minister, uh, was very underutilized uh, in this show. Um, but towards the end of the series, the politics kind of takes the, the forefront, that takes the front stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Um, I can see people kind of mistaking the uh, political storyline and, and the political undertones here for political messaging by the showrunners. But to me, it just feels like, hey, this is a story element. This is realistically how it would happen within this world. And uh, we're going to utilize this to create drama within yeah. the series. It makes. I agree with you, Matt. It makes sense. And it's not... It's not so specific that it sounds like it's coming from 2019. This literally right. can be placed on any any past immigration racism debate that's I mean there's a lot of World War One parallels here too yeah yeah so I think that was really well done Um, and let's talk about some of the plot lines what was your favorite plot line because there was like four different separate ones that kind of converged at the end more towards the end of the series they all kind of kind of met in the middle but starting off which one was your favorite was it Orlando Bloom's mystery plot line was it the the puck trying to get his way into society Uh, and then there was the other one with uh, the young guy and his mother Matt, what you? What was your favorite one? Do you think? Um, I think my favorite storyline was probably Orlando Bloom yeah. trying to figure out his place in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was interesting. A lot of lot of. Uh, um, <laughs> I always lose my words here. Uh, you know, a lot of surprises, a lot of swerves. You know, and, and that was uh, it was cool. I liked how they played it all out at the end. So yeah, I yeah. agree. Those Orlando is definitely the shining light in this. In this, I series. would have liked to have seen more about the uh, Fay girl. But she kind of disappeared about episode yeah, they, they five kind of or six. Forgot how to utilize her halfway through the series. The main, the main girl. Yeah, Carrie. Yeah, she kind of was. Yeah. She, I guess. Yeah, you're right. She kind of did just end up as like a side because she got involved with that whole Faye underground yeah. group and. But like she, she's barely in the last three episodes. Yeah, yeah. And so. when and when she does kind of emerge, it's for this, this the, the big Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> 
she definitely is a very um she was kind of a side character orlando bloom is definitely the story is definitely about orlando bloom's character well i mean it didn't start off that way though yeah it didn't um it it was kind of about their relationship their history together i I feel like the mystery subplot with orlando bloom's character but but started off as my favorite Mm -hmm. but actually kind of got resolved fairly quickly uh, and um, I, I guessed the uh, the big revelation um, <laughs> bef- before it was revealed. So I was kind of, when they did finally realize, it was just kind of like, eh. Um, so like he starts off as my favorite storyline, but then some of the other storylines kind of take forefront um, in, in the series. Like uh, we mentioned the the puck, I, I forget his, yeah. his name, but uh, uh, the one who's trying to integrate into I got society. Agrius Astreon. Yeah. yeah. Agrius. Agreus. So Agreus' storyline with with what's her name, the uh, Imogen. The human, Imogen, that that quickly became one of my uh, favorite ones, just because I liked seeing their relationship developed. Mm-hmm. I liked seeing that that kind of tension there and uh, the implications. Like like obviously, uh, Agreus is played by an African American actor, so there's some uh, interracial undertones there as that, well. That is true, but yeah. I'm going to counter that with if you notice in the society, there were people of all different racial backgrounds yeah. in it already built into the society yeah. as part of the higher but class. i'm saying like like there is some subtext yeah. there yeah. but but i mean like you basically get to see this woman uh have sex with a uh a half man half goat <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of weird there is a sex scene yes yeah yeah oh there are a couple <laughs> yeah, of sex scenes weird. actually that yeah. was weird yeah, yeah. and and it, it's weird because like they're, they're trying to make it all sensual and sexy and like this goat man has taken off his shirt and he's got all this like hair on his chest and stuff like that and you're just <laughs> like uh, i don't know if i want to watch this <laughs> Because it is kind of like the the whole bestiality thing. But actually, one of the things that um, struck me uh, came in towards the end. And and it was really weird how they they did this. Because there's a character in the the show who is the daughter of the opposition leader to Jared Harris's uh, prime minister. And there's there's this whole kind of uh, plot line in the show, which is very important, actually, uh, about uh, Jared Harris and his son and his wife, and the uh, political uh, machinations that are going on in in the society. And this character of this guy's daughter turns out to be very important, but they don't introduce her until like episode Episode three. No, it's later than that. I'm sorry, yeah, episode four or five. Five, Four or five. And uh, we don't really get to know her until like a couple episodes after she's introduced. Mm -hmm. And she ends up being a very kind of like Machiavellian, Cersei Lannister type um, in, in more ways than one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and like her kind of, uh, uh, um, uh, plotting her, like, she's almost like a supervillain in terms of like a Lex Luthor or Professor Moriarty, mm-hmm. where she kind of orchestrated almost all of the events that the show is based around. And, uh, and they kind of set her up along with, uh, Jared Harris's son, as the big villains for the next season in terms of like the power that they wield within the government. Yeah. They're the two heirs to the most powerful families in the city. And that kind of became my favorite storyline towards the end of the show. Mm. I did notice that they, they introduced her like really quickly and they made her, like you said, one of the most powerful villains in the show just, in a snap yeah. of a finger. I feel like she should have been in since yeah. episode one. They should have introduced her way yeah. earlier than they, they did. They, they did a little kind of um, a faint uh, fake out where they made uh, the girl from Game of Thrones who plays the mother uh, and the wife of Jared Harris. Uh, oh, yes. Um, uh, Martell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's, a, she's an actor, a British actress. Um, they kind of set her up to be the main villain in some ways she is. Yeah. But this other girl is actually the one who was manipulating her. 
um, throughout the show. Mm-hmm. And so, like, she was kind of the one who was responsible for every major thing that happened in the series. And, uh, yeah, what, what, what's her name, Matt? Indira Varma. Indira Varma, that's the one. Um, yeah, so she, Indira was the one who was, her character was set up to be the villain of the of this, uh, series. And I guess she was the big bad of the season. But this other girl uh, is actually the the show's central villain, in my opinion. I guess we kind of spoiled everything for. Me. It's been <laughs> I'll put a, a, it's been out. I'll put enough. a spoiler alert before. Yeah. That's all right, though. Um, well, I'm I'm trying to leave out the details so yeah. people can still be surprised. Yeah, it's the details, but it's, now they know all the characters and what they did. <laughs> There's oh, we, a couple. We left, we left that a lot. Actually. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good show, though. I'm, I'm, highly... look, I'm sitting here. I'm looking through the the IMDb of the cast. And uh, Mr. Echevera had way too much fun naming these characters. <laughs> yeah, the names oh, for these characters are ridiculous. It, they are ridiculous, but it, I like that, though. It, <laughs> yeah. it shows them they took an extra step to make sure that this felt like another world. But, like, but it, it's hard to keep them straight in your head <laughs> yeah. because you yeah. can't remember their actual names. Yeah, we're, we're going back to their like, previous like, what, shows. What, what, like, what, well, oh, you know the chick who was in uh, Game of Thrones. That yeah. one who played the wife on? Because okay. <laughs> I can't yeah. remember like her name. Like Orlando Bloom <laughs> and, and Kara... Devangeline, De so like Legolas, and that one girl yeah. from Game of Thrones is in this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. W- but it was it was like uh, what was Orlando Bloom's character's name? Was, um, uh, Rycroft, Philostrate. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they Philo. just they just called him Philo, Philo. <laughs> because because you can't pronounce Philostrate. Yeah, you know, uh, you can't even remember it. And then the uh, the, the main fairy, uh, Kara's character, what was her name? Vignette Stonemoss. Yeah, and and they they just called her uh, Vig or something like these, that. These these games these are straight Vignette. Dungeons and Dragons characters. V- Vignette, yeah, v- Vignette, Vignette was her name. Vignette, yeah. I say more, more power actually, to him. I actually really like that name. Leave it up That's to yeah, name. it is a cool name. Leave it up to us to to try and remember these characters. If we love the show enough, I'm sure we will. Well, I I, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, as, as a science fiction writer, I make up a lot of crazy names, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the key to uh, doing fantasy or science fiction names is that they have to be easily pronounceable, and they have to be easily memorable. Hmm. So when you have two very difficult names back to back, like like uh, My- Rycroft, uh, Philo, Philo, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and the the whole show, I thought his name was Mycroft, which which is a reference to a Sherlock Holmes character, right. but it's Rycroft. Uh, I, I didn't see that until I turned on like the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's it gets confusing because yeah. like like Matt said, uh, when you're watching the show, it's like oh uh, Orlando Bloom's character, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know Legolas. Legolas does this, and it's it's like come on, you know. As opposed to something like Game of Thrones, which is almost in the same type of world where they have very memorable names, right. like John and Eddard and Jamie, Jamie, yeah, simple names, Cersei, simple. yes, <laughs> and that's why we all remember those characters' names. I mean. Early on, not like eight eight seasons in. If this show gets to eight yeah. seasons, I'm sure. But, we'll but I mean, like, even when you get to crazier names like Daenerys, like you remember Daenerys. Yeah, she's it's probably the most strangest Danny, name. Danny, yeah, you know, call her Danny. But anyway, um, so would you recommend this show to listeners who haven't seen it yet? I would. I, I think that uh, if you're into like Victorian mysteries and uh, science f- or science fantasy shows, um, it, it's a good little eight episode um, series to watch if you're looking for a good time waster, a good mystery. It actually, it reminded me a lot of uh, the show The Alienist. If you ever saw that on TBS, uh, it's kind of a Victorian era uh, serial killer crime thriller. Um, but uh, with elements of Deep Space Nine and uh, uh, you know uh, some of the 
steampunky and fantasy elements to it. So it, it, it covers a lot of different genres and it, it melds them well together and the characters are interesting. And it's a fun show, but it, it can be kind of like meh at times. So yeah. I, like I said, I'd give it like a three star, like, uh, you know, watch it if you're bored and you got nothing else to do. <laughs> All right. Matt, uh, yeah, I, I I would agree with Matt. I think it's a it's a, it's a fun it's a fun watch. It's a good binge. You know, it's not a long series. It's you know I think eight, eight episodes. Yeah, and uh, you know if you like fantasy or science fiction fun shows, then this one's for you. I mean it's 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 good. I like it. I would also point out uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Which guy? Uh, guy? Oh, Runyon Millworthy. Yeah. So like, yes. there's a character in the show um, <laughs> who uh, he's kind of like a traveling performer. Oh yeah, and he, I liked him. he eventually becomes the tutor for the uh, prime minister's son, and there's a great scene in there where he basically just put like uh, the the prime minister's son tries to like put him in, a, in a, or kind of walk all over him, and this guy just puts the guy in place because uh, uh, basically the son threatens to ruin him unless he just signs off on on his tutorship because he doesn't want to be in school or be yeah. tutored. And the guy's like, "I'm not afraid of poverty. <laughs> I come from poverty. You don't scare me." Yeah. And like, like I was, I was just ambivalent towards that guy's character until that scene. But it comes so late in the season mm. that I, I was like, I wish I could have seen more of this relationship develop throughout the show as opposed to seeing this one guy just yeah. be homeless. Like episode six, I think yeah. that happened. And, and, but he's set up for season two to be a, a very important part of that because he's now the top advisor to uh, the guy, to the prime minister's son. Yeah. And uh, that has a lot of implications to it as, as well. So uh, there's a lot, like all the characters in the show are very well defined, very well um, kind of uh, developed. And uh, I think there's a lot of potential for future, like this whole season kind of felt like a setup for what they have planned to come. And it seems yeah. like they're building up to something much bigger yeah. than what this season alluded to. Cause this kind of was at its core. It was, it was a, a mystery um, for this season with a lot of setup for future stuff. So um, this show could get really good in, in seasons two and three. And I know that the producers have come out and said that they actually have a plan for, I think like five seasons. Oh, great. Um, so, and I wouldn't expect anything less from Meshavera because deep space nine you know, like that thing uh, followed a, a very like structured plan and, and paid off extremely well. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they got planned for this. Yeah, I am too. You, you I know, and also, if if you're into cosplay, oh, oh yeah, all you, you got to do is you know buy a Victorian outfit yeah. and get some fancy totally. wings to wear around your neck. Some and steampunky stuff. Yeah, yeah it so. definitely has a lot of that steampunk <laughs> vibe to it, and I I like that. Uh, I would definitely recommend this to listeners if we haven't already ruined all the plot lines for you. <laughs> go watch this show. It's uh, it's really well done. Yeah. I enjoyed the crap out it's of it. It's not for kids though. No, it don't, is not. Don't it's, watch it with the kids. It's around. definitely up there in the range of like. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, look at that. They're having sex right now. Get We're some, watching it. We're watching Orlando butt. <laughs> <laughs> couple butts, couple tits. You know, good couple stuff. boobies. Um, it's definitely a lot, a lot up there of fairy with, boobs. Yeah, you definitely. Get to, you get to see how fairies have. Uh, have sex. It's up there with Game of Thrones and, and uh, Outlander. I, I wouldn't say it, it's quite the level of gratuitousness of Game of Thrones. Not, not in the violence section, but in the sex, I think. I, I, I don't think in the sex either? No, no. Like A lot of the sex in, in Carnival Row, it's kind of toned down. There's not a whole lot of nudity. Uh, in Game of Thrones, they'd just be like, hey, look at these three whores. Let's have sex with them. <laughs> yeah. And, they, and it's, sure. like, and it's, it's like full frontal. I forgot. You know? I forgot about uh, Littlefinger's brothel. Yeah, that was pretty. Never mind. I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next on the discussion list, uh, oh, Star uh, but, Wars. But before we get to that. Oh, boy. We, here we go. Can we, since we mentioned um, um, uh, Kara's role in um, Suicide Squad, uh, 
Mm. Can we talk about the new Harley Quinn trailer? We can segue into that. Yeah. Nice, nice segue. <laughs> yeah, that was a good segue right there. Hey, can we talk about this? <laughs> All right. Well done, cool sir. Uh, oh, yes. there, there's a slight connection there. The, uh, <laughs> the trailer for the new Birds of Prey movie came out, and um, I guess we have some thoughts. Matt, why don't you start off? You seem eager, so go ahead. Well, it was funny because I went and saw It Chapter 2 recently, and they had a teaser for the Birds of Prey movie in front of that. And, uh, you know, I was in this this theater with a group of people I didn't know. Um, and pretty much uh, once Harley Quinn showed up on screen and said, I'm so sick of clowns, because uh, it was it was a trailer made specifically for It Chapter 2. Yeah. Um, and, and they showed, like, clips from just short teaser clips from the movie. Everyone in the theater groaned. Like, I kid you not. Like, <laughs> really? Like, like, and my, my girlfriend, uh, who I was there to see the movie with, uh, she said out loud, she was like, pass. <laughs> and and so, so like, no one was, was really all that into it. And uh, then they dropped the f- first full trailer for uh, Birds of Prey. And it looks like they took all the worst parts about um, Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad and yeah. doubled down on them. <laughs> Because, like, it, I mean, it looks like a sequel to, to the first Suicide Squad, basically. Like, it's shot in the same way. It's got the same colors. I think they probably even used the same uh, trailer editing house that edited the movie to make this trailer. Because um, the trailer for Suicide Squad was pretty good. <laughs> it was better than the movie. Yeah, well, well then the they movie. must not have used the same one because this trailer was horrible. <laughs> and it focuses entirely on Harley Quinn. Like, you don't, they don't introduce any of the other birds of prey. Like, they'll show them, but you don't know who they are or what context uh, they, they have with the movie or why it's even called Birds of Prey. Because uh, when the title card comes up, it says Birds of Prey, the Emancipation of Harley Quinn or something like that. It, it's all, like, Harley-based. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you know anything about Birds of Prey, it, it's like Harley was kind of like a latecomer to, to that team, I think. Uh, it was mostly uh, Huntress, uh, Oracle, and uh, Spoiler, and, um, and, and Batgirl or something like that. The whole time I was watching the, this two-minute trailer, I was just rolling my eyes because I, I was like, you know, Harley Quinn isn't sexy. She isn't funny. She isn't interesting. And the whole thing felt like like a Thelma and Louise, like... like I ain't got no, I, I'm a strong woman. I ain't, I don't need no man type thing. Cause yeah. like the whole point of the trailer is I broke up with the Joker and now I'm going out on my own to, to be a hero, I guess. Um, which is kind of weird. I got the vibe. I see this. This is another indication that the trailer wasn't very good. I'm trying to figure out what the storyline was. It seems like she's got a hit on her. Well, she's uh, got some a bounty on her so head. Obi Wan plays Black Mask. Yeah, who's yeah. What the, the hell is Ewan McGregor doing in this movie? <laughs> this is the only <laughs> reason why I'm going to see it is because of Ewan McGregor. <laughs> yeah, apparently he he his character is gay, and he's like a mob boss in Gotham, and uh, he gets the Black Mask um, accidentally welded to his face at some point. But uh, apparently the original uh, uh, plot for this was that there was some type of of. Uh, data drive like you know data stick with uh dick pics on it oh, from, from black mask and he wanted it back are you serious yeah <laughs> is and, that a, that's the actual lo- well well the, i, I, I think i think they changed that okay <laughs> but uh, but for, from all reports the original <laughs> script was based around like harley had this data drive with his dick pics on it and and he was going after her because of it oh no yeah <laughs> that's so bad no 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 I, i'm pretty sure they changed that i, I do there. remember reading that but uh yikes but yeah so uh 
But we got uh, Elizabeth Weinstead, I think her name is, as the Huntress in this. Uh, she was shown very briefly in the trailers, but uh, I like her as an actress, so like uh, I'm kind of excited for that. I don't know who Rosie Perez is supposed to be. I don't know any of the characters. Uh, I just know Harley Quinn, which I have yeah. to say, Margot Robbie is a really good Harley Quinn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She sold it. That line in the trailer when she was like, I'm Harley freaking Quinn. I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> but they, they made her uh, less appealing in this movie. Like, like in Suicide Squad... It, they went over the top in Suicide Squad. Well, I, she's no, I, 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 think, I think that they, they used her perfectly in Suicide Squad. I think that in this movie, they're trying to scale that back a bit, and it's a mistake. Because, because they, they, she, she was one if, of the... If they're going to build it around, around her... Um, you know, they got to make her sexier, I think, than, uh, than they, they did in this trailer. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, because she was Suicide Squad, she was in a bra and like booty shorts with like, yeah. a collar around her well, neck that said that's Joker. That's what Harley Quinn's supposed to look like. Harley Quinn's supposed to be in a jester suit. Oh, I guess that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, they, they. But look, look at how many girls cosplay oh, Suicide yeah. Squad Harley I Quinn. Mean, Halloween is just a slutty version of anything. But, but I mean, you know, That's the, true. no, but I, I can't see anyone cosplaying. There was a slutty Mister Rogers on freaking. Yeah. But <laughs> I can't see. I can't see anyone cosplaying as the Harley Quinn from this movie because uh, it just looks weird. I, I mean, it is a, it is out there, but I don't, I don't necessarily agree. I think they, they could have sailed it back. Maybe they just went a, a too far. But I think scaling it back probably was a good idea. Uh, I mean, like, I, I have no problem with like female main characters in movies, but this one feels a little bit too girl powerish. Like, like it, it just feels like. Isn't like, that the point, though? I mean, it's birds of prey. Well, no. Well, the comics, it, the point in the comics wasn't about girl power. It, it was about the, these damaged characters who kind of come together and uh, and support each other as they work through their various issues and fight uh-huh. crime. Because it's part of the Batverse, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the the so, Batverse without Batman. Yeah. So, so basically, you have the, the female <laughs> characters from the Batverse in, in a team-up situation. and But this one feels like, like the whole... You know, men are stupid. Women are awesome. Uh, let's make a movie where we empower women and give little girls someone to look up to, even though these are all a, villains. Slutty villain. Was this yeah. is this like at all inspired? There was a, there was an episode of Batman the animated series, I believe. Yes, where Wrong. Harley Quinn got together with Poison Ivy, Poison Ivy, and, and they um, stole Bruce's credit card. There was three of them. There was three. I can't remember. Poison who. Ivy, Harley, and. Um, Gosh, I can't remember. I can't either. I know who you're talking <laughs> but about. But it was though. a fantastic yeah, it was a great episode, episode of that show. You know, yeah, they stole Bruce's credit card and went shopping. Yeah, and they like, did all kinds of all kinds, all kinds of, of crazy, crazy stuff. stuff. It was yeah. hilarious. I love yeah. that. Um, but uh, yeah, I was not impressed by this new Birds of Prey trailer. It looks like it's going to be just a terrible movie. It might be. It very well might be. I think the, the only redeeming factor is Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. She fits that role perfectly. And uh, I mean, and just make a Harley Quinn standalone movie. What is she going to do? What she does in this movie. I mean, like, what's she going to do oh, in this film? Okay, so the thing I did like about this trailer was her and the she introduced they introduced the hyenas. Yes. I thought that was freaking cool. I was yeah, like, the hyenas, hey, hyenas are back. That's awesome. And they looked cool. They looked real. She was interacting with them. Maybe yeah. they were real. I don't know. Maybe they're just see, a dog with cosplay see, I would have liked I would have liked a Harley Quinn standalone movie that was all about her relationship with the Joker. I would have loved to have seen that dynamic, and I would have loved to have seen, like, their breakup. Like, this movie kind of implies, like, you know, oh, they broke up. Yeah, um, and th- it happened off screen uh, before yeah. the movie started. But I would have loved to have seen that dynamic between her and the ju- Jugaboo Joker, uh, Jared, 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 <laughs> Jared, 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 the meth head. Uh, yeah, oh, um, I would have loved to have seen Joker. that. I think uh, 
I think DC, though, wisely decided that that version of Joker was not something they wanted to pursue. It was a standalone thing for Suicide Squad. He fit that movie, but that movie wasn't very good. I don't think he fit that movie at all. You don't think so? (laughs) No. I felt like that version of the Joker was very uh, uh, kind of misguided. I don't think think the, the choices that they made for that character were very good. I'll agree with you on that. Matt, what are your thoughts on this trailer? Yes, no, maybe so. Eh, maybe. Uh, probably not. I don't no. think I'm going to go watch this one, but you know, I didn't watch Suicide Squad in the theaters either. Yeah. Just Catch it when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, movies come out so fast on video anymore afterwards. Yeah. It's only like three, four months I'll after I'll save it's my done. 15 bucks. Yeah. All right. Uh, next is Star Wars. We This is kind of old news now. People have covered it back and forth and up and down, uh, but I just want to kind of blow through it real quick because it's pretty big news. Uh, Kevin Feige producing a single Star Wars movie. For now. For now. <laughs> is, this, is this proving ground? Is this like his, uh, his put his toe in the water and then if it works, he's going to jump in? So my initial reaction to this news was that um, Disney was setting up Feige to replace Kathleen Kennedy as the head of Lucasfilm. But the more I thought about it, the less that kind of made sense to me. I think we know that Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, is going to be stepping down in um, two years. Yeah. And there's going to be a power play between. No, no, um, not necessarily. I think that, you know, the lines of succession are kind of being drawn. And right now the guy who's set to take Iger's space is, uh, he's like the head of their digital content Mm -hmm. uh, division. Disney plus and all that stuff. Disney plus. So like he, he's kind of the one who's most in line with Iger's vision for the future of the company. And so he's widely, uh, kind of rumored to be taking that place. But the big thing is that, Bob Iger is the one who brought in Alan Horn, which is the guy who runs uh, Disney's uh, movie division. So he's like the big boss. He's he's the one who has the final say on all the movies that get made. And he's, you know, 75 years old. Uh, he's been in the position a long time. And I think when Iger steps down, uh, we might see Alan Horn retire uh, shortly afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think what they're doing is they're grooming Kevin Feige to take Horn's position. So he's in ra- charge of all Disney movies. Yeah. So rather than just be in charge of Marvel Studios, he, he's going to be elevated to the head of motion pictures. And so, like, he would oversee Marvel, he would oversee Lucasfilm, he'd oversee Pixar, he'd oversee pretty much any movie that Disney makes. Yeah. And, um, you know, Alan Horn is very similar to Feige in the sense that he's a creative head and he kind of shares duties with uh, this other guy, I forget his name, but the other guy kind of handles the business end of things and, and Horn handles the creative end of things. And so I think that they're grooming Feige to take Alan Horn's hmm. place. And this Star Wars uh, uh, movie that he's going to produce, it's not only because um, Feige is a fan and probably wants to, to work with Star yeah, Wars, wouldn't. but I think it's also kind of a uh, slow expansion of his duties um, into Horn's position. So he's going to start, uh, you, you might see Kevin Feige start producing Pixar movies as well and start producing other films within Disney and the more he does that, the more in line he's going to be with that position that Alan Horn currently ho- holds. I'm good with that. Are you good with that? I am good with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no problem. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> Kevin Feige has the, the proven track record of making good movies. Yeah. I mean, there's know? a few duds in the MCU. There's a few. But... And there's a, there's a, a rational criticism of the MCU that they're kind of cookie cutter. Uh, and I I do agree with that to an extent, but even if they are cookie cutter, they're all entertaining and well made. And they follow, you know, like he's criticized for having the Marvel formula, but yeah. the formula works. Yeah, exactly. I, I have no problem with the formula. I like that cookies. Works. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and you know, people are kind of the biggest criticism that I've heard is that they don't like how Feige's taking Marvel in a more um, political yeah. space in terms of like uh, wokeness, uh, you know, like more uh, female centric girl power. I say he's got 23 movies under his belt that he's been pretty apolitical. Yeah, well, the whole thing about um, Feige is that he's always drawn from the source material to, mm-hmm. to create the movies. Yeah. And it just so happens that the source material has gone woke. <laughs> yeah. And and so it makes sense that you see like a girl power Captain Marvel, that you you, yeah. you see a female Thor because that's all stuff that happened. In yeah, you're the what, what, what sucks about that, though, is, is, is as soon as they started doing that, Marvel comic sales took a nosedive. And the next thing for Star Wars, we had another uh, announcement. Obi-Wan, the Disney Plus series, is getting a director, Deborah Chow, who was Deborah did Chow. two episode. Two episodes of The Mandalorian under John Favreau, and uh, a couple episodes of Better Call Saul. So she's got she's got some experience. She's on yeah. a lot of TV. Yeah, a lot of TV. She's got some experience under her belt. What do you guys think about her leading leading this prized golden egg of Disney? I don't Obi-Wan. think I, I don't have a huge issue with it. Yeah. I think she's going to be fine. There's a lot of people that allegedly know Star Wars, <laughs> including Ewan McGregor. Yeah, who who will probably have some input? I'm assuming. Well, he's executive producing it, <laughs> and uh, whichever that I don't means. think they'll let her get too off the rails if if she decides to do something weird. You know, um, yeah. she's got a good pedigree with her resume, and and I think she's going to be fine. Yeah, so. I agree. Kadish, well, um, my biggest concern when I first heard this news was that she was a diversity hire because she is Chinese American. Um, oh my god, and, and she's a woman. Um, but the, uh, you know, when I, uh, kind of dug into her background, so she went to film school, she, you know, got like her, a master's in filmmaking. Um, she's a screenwriter as well. She won a couple of awards for her screenplays. Um, she did an independent movie that was very well received. Um, and, uh, so like she was in the independent film world for a while. So she, technically she has the chops, like, like she has the background. She actually studied the craft. She studied the, the medium. Yeah. And uh, she's proven that she's got a, a good storytelling head on her shoulders in terms of like the writing end of things. Because as a director, you kind of need to, good directors are always jack of all trades. They, they understand story. They understand writing. They understand, uh, you know, uh, cinematography, uh, you know, uh, basically like they understand all aspects of, of movie making. And so she feels like she comes from that background and she's gone through the training of uh, TV directing because TV is really kind of a training ground for directors more than director's medium. Movies are, are really the director's medium. That's where directors really kind of shine and have the most control, whereas TV, it's the producers uh, who are the head writers usually. So she's kind of uh, put in her, her time uh, in the TV world. And I think that when she was on The Mandalorian, you know, she directed two episodes and uh, she was part of that that big diverse cast of directors where it was Taika Waititi and mm-hmm. Bryce Dallas Howard. So like you had a lot of female directors, you had a lot of people of color uh, working on The Mandalorian. I think that through that, um, she kind of proved herself to Kathleen Kennedy enough to give her the, uh, the reins for the um, Obi-Wan show. And I think that because she has a good background in storytelling, in addition to a good uh, like uh, she you know she paid her dues in, in terms of TV and stuff like that. I think she's probably a very good choice for Obi Wan. Like she's not someone a lot of people know about, but I, I feel like she is someone who uh, has the um, kind of background and knowledge to turn in a good show. I don't think Lucasfilm or Kathleen Kennedy would put somebody in that position 
they, that they understand that what these people do are going to have a huge effect on their bottom line. And, and, um, actually, you know, they, they can't make that mistake again. They got to put good people in those positions to make a good product. I actually think the choice for Chow was heavily influenced more by Favreau than Kennedy. I, I think Favreau kind of went to Kennedy and being sure. like, this girl knows what she's doing. Yeah. Put her in charge. Yeah. I think, I think Favreau has more to do with current Star Wars than we might think. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm all right with that. He's a big fan. He does good work. I like pretty much all of his movies, even his movies that aren't uh, like superhero inclined. They're uh, the chef. I think he did. Oh, I, I watched I that. Freaking love I, that movie. There's a, they, I watched that show on Netflix where he, yeah. he took yeah, yeah. the show off of that. Yeah. Everything he does it's, it's is good. so money. He's, I never saw swingers. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, you, you have to see swingers. It's so money. <laughs> so Vegas, money. baby. Vegas. <laughs> Vegas. But I like John Favreau. I think he's going to do good work. And I think he has a big role to play in Lucasfilm going in the future. Well, you know, the most interesting thing about Favreau, it's not just that he's um, kind of, you know, a good storyteller, a good director, a good writer. It's that uh, now that he's kind of been handed the keys to, like he's one of Disney's most influential directors on, in their stable right now. Uh, he's getting to play with all sorts of very interesting mm -hmm. toys that would make George Lucas proud. Like I think for The Mandalorian, they developed uh, something called like a virtual green screen or, or something like that, where basically the, uh, the green screen backgrounds are rendered in the camera as they're shooting. Whoa. So that... Uh, they can cut down time and cost. That's pretty wild. Uh, while shooting these big science fiction things, and that's one of the reasons why they were able to do Mandalorian for TV was like he's pioneering these new special effects techniques. Like if we didn't have this technology, every episode would cost like a hundred million dollars, yeah, or something like that. How much did they put into this? Though? It was pretty expensive. It was up there with Game of Thrones. Yeah, like but if, you, if you consider that they're getting like what eight to ten episodes, yeah, of the Mandalorian, that's uh, eighty million dollars for a season. That, that, that's pretty. That, that's pretty bargain basement. <laughs> yeah, for Star that's Wars. not much, especially. I, th I, I think Last Jedi cost what three hundred twenty million. Something crazy like yeah. that so uh, and you have this uh, is a bargain you have amazon over there making lord of the rings for a billion dollars but that's for five seasons yeah right? yeah that that's over the course of five seasons that's that's not like per season it's still quite a bit of money well i mean it's, it's <laughs> i a, can't it's wait a to talk about that one oh, yeah it's gonna be fun but i mean like what <laughs> game of thrones was 15 million an episode yeah on the uh, for the expensive ones for like the battle scenes and stuff they were expensive some I, of the I, more local i think it averaged out to about 15 million an episode that's crazy well they had to save so some money, money in that last episode when they used the same scene over and over again <laughs> drogon was frying the town right is that what they did yeah it's the same scene it's like just every, flipped it and mirrored it yeah <laughs> Oh, season eight was so well. They, bad. They, they, they they kind of forgot to do the special yeah. effects. <laughs> We're gonna make her angry. They, oh, everybody. You know, they they spent all their money removing that coffee cup from that one scene. Yeah, that Starbucks so, cup. God, they dropped the ball so hard. <laughs> I don't like being reminded. You, you know uh, what's funny though is, is like I'll I'll just be out in my daily life and I'll run into people and every single one of them will not have anything good to say about last season of Game of Thrones. Like somehow, like me and my girlfriend, we were on a wine tour in in, um, in Arizona. Yeah. And our guide, our wine guide, uh, somehow we we brought up the topic of Game of Thrones. He was like, "Yeah, that last season, that wasn't very good, was it?" Nope. <laughs> just just, just randomly, like 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 everyone who loved that show hates the last season. Yeah. And that that tells you a lot. Well, they about... even talk trash about it at San Diego Comic Con. Was it um, <laughs> yeah. Seth Rogen? Yeah. He was on stage. I think at the, the only panel people just talking trash about season eight. Yeah, I think yeah, the only people terrible. who liked season eight were the nerd soup guys. Uh, da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked his one comment he, where, where he was like, to... "I like the fact that you couldn't see anything in oh, the God. battle for Winterfell." I love those guys. <laughs> this, 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 is our, this is our first episode. We don't oh. need to be doing making no feud already. Talking man. trash about my boys. <laughs> 
I'm losing my voice already. They haven't even been talking. My boys. <laughs> I love the Nerd Soup guys. Those guys are good. Aaron, Bo, Nash. They, they did like yeah. the last season, though. Teddy. I'm just saying. It's all right. They were trying to. Is that an insult that they liked the last season? <laughs> <laughs> he's, I think he's changed. I've heard him talk about it a couple of times, and he's like, uh, I kind of changed my. He changed his tune a little bit. I think he was just shocked. We were all in shock, right? We were watching it like, how? I wasn't. I've been saying it was a bad show since season one. <laughs> season one? Yep. Like, don't get me wrong. The first three seasons of the show are very good, but they made so many questionable adaptation cho- choices that I was like, these guys aren't good writers. And the minute they ran out of source material to steal from, they showed. It, it showed how bad they were. Yeah. Episode yeah. Uh, which one? Episode two, the Knights of the Seven Kingdom. That was a freaking fantastic episode, though. One of the yeah, best but episodes. It, but if in you the only show. have six episodes for the season, you spend all of your time just with people sitting around drinking. That was the best episode. That's yeah. what I, mean. I, I feel. I feel like that should have been uh, in the previous season uh, because it just it just felt like like. Season eight didn't have time to breathe. It felt oh, like yeah. that, that show needed at least two more full seasons totally to agree. really, uh, you know, sure. properly pay everything off. Yeah, hundred percent. But, but that's all Benioff and Weiss. I don't think there's any doubt. But well, you, um, George R. threw some shade at him too. Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. He was like, I think they were done with the show and they just wanted to move on well, to the, other things. You know, George George R. R. Martin checked out like uh, two seasons prior. Yeah. And I and there was actually a report that when they went to his uh, Santa Fe residence to go over their kind of uh, final season plans he didn't like it he didn't like it and they ended up walking out yeah. <laughs> because because george was was giving them crap for uh for their ideas yeah and they're like we're oscar winning you know, we, we run the biggest show in the world what do you know <laughs> can you imagine that can you imagine going to the author of the books it's like hey we're making these really cool shows and the author of the just like no, oh. you suck. Get out of well, here. Well, that's what you George know? Lucas did. It's, oh for, yeah, <laughs> brutal. It's just like <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy makes The Force Awakens, and he's like, um, "You betrayed me." This is nothing new. This is kind of just retreaded. You're <laughs> just, not pushing anything here. You're Bob's not like, but that's, "But that's what we were trying to do. <laughs> we were trying to retread your story." <laughs> oh. Get out! Just get out of my house. Get out of my office. Get out of here. Get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah. I want to. I want to try and we can talk about that a little bit. I thought it was hilarious. Not hilarious. It's actually kind of sad, but it was funny because I was listening. I was reading what what uh, George said to Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy. Well, why, why don't you set the stage for this first, <clears throat> so for the people who might not know? Who doesn't know about this? I'm sure there are lots of people who don't know. <laughs> so about George this. Lucas, or I'm sorry, Bob Iger wrote a book. His kind of memoirs. The CEO of Disney. The yeah. CEO of Disney. A Wild Ride or something. What a ride or something like that was the title. I have not read. I've read excerpts from it, but yeah, I haven't read the full book. I haven't read the full book either. But um, who reads anymore? I mean, I come know. on, it has, to be, it has to be online. If it's not online, I don't read it. Maybe, okay, so maybe he wrote a book. Maybe I can do I'm the audible version. Yeah, he wrote. He wrote, he wrote, he wrote a, a biography, book. and and part of the part of that book was about uh, his dealings with George Lucas and how he actually admitted that he could have done things better. And uh, he said that George Lucas felt betrayed. And his quote about The Force Awakens when he first saw it was that there was nothing new. Well, the the whole setup for this was that when they were in negotiations to buy Star Wars from Lucas, Lucas had outlines for yeah. episodes 7, 8, and 9 that he, he had been planning to do. And so uh, when George was in negotiations, he was like, okay, if you buy Star Wars, are you going to use my outlines for the next three movies? And Bob Iger was like, we'll take it under consideration. So yeah. he basically led George Lucas to believe that 
you know, in acquiring the outlines along with the rest of the Star Wars IP, that Disney would indeed use the outlines yeah. as the basis for the next couple movies. Basis. That's a key word, too. Yeah. Basis. So, so, have so to like, follow. Iger never explicitly said to Lucas, yes, we're going to use your outlines. He, he just said, like, we're going to be open to it. Yeah. And so um, when, uh, they bought, when the deal closed and they bought Star Wars and Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams and Bob Iger were all kind of setting up, setting the stage for the new era of Star Wars, it was the decision was made, and it's not clear by who, but I, I think it's pretty obvious uh, who, who made the decision that they were not going to use George's outlines. They were going to basically throw away everything in the expanded universe and start from scratch with something new, uh, which the new thing was basically taking episode four and retreading it. And that was the basis for this, where, where when they did finally show The Force Awakens to George Lucas, George was very disappointed that they didn't use uh, his outlines, but more than that, they he felt like, number one, it didn't break any new technical ground. Right. I think that's his biggest gripe. Yeah, yeah because George Lucas is a big technophile, and Star Wars has always been a vehicle for mm -hmm. new special effects. Right. And But more than that, it was basically, uh, it hit the reset button, it kind of uh, didn't move forward from Return of the Jedi, it went backwards. And so he felt like it was just retreading old territory, and he expressed his his disappointment yeah. very verbally. And, but nobody <laughs> knew about this until Iger revealed it in his book. Well, George kind of hinted at it too. He was like, you know, it felt like a bad divorce. He didn't want to be anything to do with he it. Sold his children to he white sold slavers. his children to white slavers. Like yeah. these are these were for some heavy digs at Disney. So uh, it's not necessarily a surprise to us. It's just more of like a, a twist of the knife. Like eh, here's a little bit of us, you know, a little bit extra from Disney. Now it's coming out. And, uh, but in all fairness to Iger and Kennedy and J.J. Uh, Abrams, and I know that's not something that most people that's are, a surprise are used to hearing. From you, yeah. <laughs> um, George Lucas is not the best writer. No. And my guess is that his outlines for what he wanted to do for 7, 8, and 9 were not good. And uh, I, I have no problem with people tossing out his, his outlines um, simply because... You know, and I had a, a dust up on Twitter about this the other day, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where, yeah. where I basically said like the prequels are not good films. They're not. I mean, like you can enjoy <laughs> them. They're, they're they're very Star Warsy. Like like you watch them and you get that Star Wars feel to them, and you like the characters and the universe. But objectively, as a filmmaker, I look at the prequels as the best bad movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I I always tell people, it's like you know they're not great movies, but they're still Star Wars. They still have the right DNA. I think that the reason. The, the original trilogy is such a classic is because you had George Lucas, who was this idea man and the mm -hmm. guy who pushed the boundaries of technology along with Gary Kurtz, who was a guy who challenged Lucas and, and had a real understanding of character and story. And I think that's one of the reasons why those movies are classics. And for the prequels, you didn't have that, that Rick McCallum guy. Like he was basically like, George, what do you want? Mm -hmm. I'll get it for you. Yeah. So speaking of uh, being an innovator and the reason why the original trilogy and, and, George is such a, he likes to play with his new toys, right? He was the first one to come up with these motion capture cameras for the original trilogy. He was the first to come up with CGI characters for the prequels. What do you think he would have done with the sequels moving forward? What new, brand new, never used technology? Because we already had James Cameron with 3D, stuff like that. What's next? What would be next for him? It would it be VR? Would be there something I, like... No, I, I think it would be 3D, kind of close to what more James 3D? Cameron is doing. Like... like because um, that's 3D without glasses. Uh, well, you'd have to retrofit theaters for that. Though, he wouldn't be he? scared of that. <laughs> no, he, he basically made every theater in the world change to watch Phantom Menace, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it changed so. it to digital projections <laughs> yeah. instead of film projections. Yeah, he's like, I'm just going to change the world with my movies. Wow. But, but he also was... changed how movies were shot because before yeah. that, before the the prequels, uh, 
film was still in, in wide use. Yeah, he was and the Lucas first came in with HD and, mm-hmm. and he was like, this is the future for movies because mm-hmm. not only is it cheaper and faster and easier to light, but also it makes doing the special effects quicker and easier. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that the, the next stage that he probably would have tackled would be the, uh, the 3D. So, like, you got 3D cameras where you shoot stuff in 3D, but then, like, he'd be like, well, what if we could show this movie in 3D without the need for 3D glasses? And that's something that James Cameron has been working on, too. So uh, it's just one of those things where I, I feel like that would have been the next phase for Lucas. Mm. And But it might have delayed the... Uh, movies that he wanted to make by you know five ten years simply because like he needs he need he would need to develop the technology mm-hmm. first yeah isn't that's kind of like what Cameron's doing with Avatar right and, now and right? that's what he did with the prequels so, like he didn't want to do the prequels until the technology was there right. for him to do like the digital characters and stuff like that I remember Steven Spielberg came out around the time right before Phantom Menace hit theaters and he had seen like a sneak preview of the movie and. Jar Jar uh, just wowed him like like he was like this is incredible <laughs> entirely CGI yeah. actor in your movie was the first ever yeah. yeah George is an innovator man I feel bad that uh, things went the way it went and I'm curious to see what he would have done uh, with the, even with the story like I'm not a huge fan of the prequels and I don't defend it but um, like his his talking about mo- moving into like the microbiotic world and the wills and the eating yeah, off the force that, and I'm like that sounds so loony but i wonder what it would have looked like because <laughs> he still had because no he I, still had luke he still had all his his characters were all in the movie it wasn't like some other offshoot movie or story all, all i think of when you say stuff like that is midi chlorines yeah. yeah and midi chlorines piss me off i, I just <laughs> i mean like look at star trek discovery with the sport network well, it would uh, be like the same thing so oh, bad yes. it's just like oh that's all the rage nowadays. What's these, words, we, these we, microbiotic we to, we, things? We have to have a scientific explanation for everything in the in the. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, like they you know, they set it up good. in, in a New Hope perfectly, where it's it, it's a force that binds the world together. It's it's created by yeah. life. You know, it, it binds us. It penetrates us. You know, all that stuff. I like, like the whole religious. Yeah, like, like I, I, I like the mystical aspect. aspect. Of it. It's good. Oh, yeah. It's good. Yeah. I like that. Like, forget science. <laughs> All right, Global warming's on. a hoax too. Moving away from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about Star Wars all day. Uh, next, uh, real quick, last topic is a trailer dropped, a behind-the-scenes trailer dropped for a war movie called 1917. And the thing that struck me about this and why we're talking about it is because the director, and I didn't know this, had decided to shoot the movie in all one single shot in real time. So when you watch this movie, you will be following these characters Every second is a second in the movie, and that isn't, Wait, doesn't it, happen. Is very it real often. time or is it yeah. one single shot? Yeah, one and one yeah. single shot. Oh. It's pretty wild. Yeah, so you're gonna have two hours of your. You're gonna be watching these characters for two hours of their life. It's gonna be two hours in the movie, two hours of their life. You know, I know this movie is gonna be gorgeous because I even thought the little featurette that was released on YouTube was gorgeous and just yeah. how it was all, shot all sam <laughs> movies are gorgeous yeah so I, I i can't i don't know who this guy is i don't know if i've ever seen another one of his movies but oh yeah you, you've seen uh, his movies before he did yeah. american beauty he did uh road to perdition oh yeah. he did the last two uh james bond movies okay uh, skyfall oh, all right yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah i mean this it's gonna be great 
I, I don't know what I hope it's going to be great. I don't know if it's going to be great. It's going to look good. Yeah, it's going to look great. <laughs> it I'm might just suck, but it's going to look good. Because we don't we don't <laughs> see um, we don't see movies with single shots very often. I think the only other one that I have seen is Hardcore Henry, and I didn't really like that movie very much. But it wasn't because of how it was shot. I just thought it was stupid. No, it wasn't a very well written movie. <laughs> I, like it, you know, it was based on a series of YouTube shorts. I think that yeah. uh, the directors did, and it was a cool concept where they use GoPro cameras yeah. as a, a POV. It was almost like you're watching a first-person shooter game. Yeah. And uh, they expanded that into a movie that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But it, but technically, it was very cool. Yeah. Um, I, I really uh, enjoyed kind of like the concept behind Hardcore Henry. And, they, they, um, and the execution was, was very well done. It was just the, the story itself was, was very... Yeah. So the, the interesting thing is going to be how they're going to hide their cuts. Because they have to cut. There's going to be edits in this movie, but they, because it's one single shot, they're going to try and play it off as it's not. So there's going to be a lot of moments where the camera's going to go behind a wall and you're going to lose track of the characters for a second and then you're going to pop up on I the other side. I disagree with that. You don't think so? I think that with CGI nowadays, they can blend these things together so that it, they don't have to hide the cuts anymore. Oh. Now, see, uh, the first movie to do an uh, entire film as a single shot was a movie called Rope. Uh, which was uh, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock films. And it doesn't get a lot of attention because it's not, you know, the birds or Psycho or like what have you. But it's basically the story of Rope is about uh, two, uh, I want to call them gay lovers, but, you know, it's never explicitly stated in the film. It's kind of implied. But uh, these uh, these two men in New York who are kind of like elitists, they kill a, they murder a classmate in their apartment. And then they hide his body in a uh, trunk, uh, which is kind of like a centerpiece in, in their living room, almost like a coffee table. Okay. So they hide the body in this like trunk that acts as a coffee table, and they put like a cloth over it, and they host a dinner party with their victim in, in this uh, in this um, trunk, and they invite their victim's parents over, and uh, their their professor from university, and all these people who come over to this dinner party and basically they're getting off on the fact that, that they committed this horrible crime in front of everybody. And, yeah. you know, and, and they keep like kind of dropping hints about like their crime that only uh, Jimmy Stewart, who's their professor starts picking up on. But this, this, uh, this um, movie, the, it's very tense, and that's what I love about it is, is because it's just people in a room uh, just talking. Yeah. Um, but there's all these moments where, like, they almost find the body, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. And so, like, it, it, it's, it's classic Hitchcock in the sense that he knows how to create tension in a scene. But more than that, he, he decided to shoot this as a single shot, and, and so he hid the cuts very interestingly, um, and he was the first one to do this. And, and he, that's the movie that actually inspired these really long takes by like Scorsese that Scorsese is like famous for and stuff like that. Cause he was the first one to actually do this. Yeah. And, uh, there are very few movies that can pull this off. There was another movie in 2000, which was called time code, which was basically, it was like a, a movie. It was kind of experimental where they had uh, four different actors with four different stories. And it was just one long take for each one. But then they showed all four in like a grid pattern on the screen. Oh, so you were great. watching everyone's story at the same time and they had to time everything so that, while something important was happening in, in like one section of the screen, the other people weren't doing anything to distract you from that story. Like they yeah. were like taking a walk or something like that. So it was a very technically difficult movie to make, but it, it was also very interesting. Uh, but you get um, actually probably the best single take uh, thing that I've ever seen was in Haunting of Hill House, 
uh, I believe it was episode six. It's the Netflix original series. Uh, did you, any, either of you guys watch that? I don't watch horror. No. <laughs> so uh, I guess I'm going to have to watch it, though. Yeah. So first of all, the, the show is amazing. It's very well done. Um, and in this one episode, it's all a single take. Okay. And they spent like months rehearsing it. And it's one of those things where you think that there's digital trickery going on. You think that, you know, there are hidden cuts. There, there aren't. There are no hidden cuts in this thing. Basically, when they would um, go to a, a... So it happens in a funeral home, and then like it flashes back to like the mansion and stuff like that. And when they go down a hallway and it transitions into the mansion, they actually had to build the set mm-hmm. to, to connect to this thing. That sounds cool. And, that sounds and, cool. And, and it was crazy because they'd have things where like the, the Steadicam operator would get on some type of harness, yes, and it would like lift him up to the second story, yes. and then he'd like get off the harness and start following people. So it looked like... Like, it was just crazy, and they had to rehearse everything. Yeah, this trailer for 1917 did a lot of the same thing. You see this guy, this big boom comes around with the camera, and it (laughs) drops down to eye level, and then this dude in a jumpsuit runs up, unhitches it from the boom, (laughs) and puts it on his chest, and then jumps on a Jeep while he's following the actor. The the thing about this 1917 thing, though, is like I feel like it's a cop-out in the sense that uh, they're going to be using a lot of digital trickery. To, to, I got to rain on the these. parade, bro. Come on, man. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, like they have a full like like air battle scene, you know, like how can you do that without CGI? You yeah. know, I mean, so I feel like uh, it's not as technically as impressive. And plus, I feel like Sam Mendes, the guy who's directing this movie, he makes very beautiful movies, but his movies tend to be very boring. And uh, like, like, I was not a fan of American Beauty, even though I know that a lot of people love that movie. I did not like Road to Perdition, even though like it's those a, are very it's boring a, movies. Be- but and, they're, and even they're his good, two, even his even his two um, James Bond films, I felt like Skyfall was probably the best of the two, but like they were still very slow, very boring films. And so like he, you, you know, he's very good at making a beautiful movie. He's very good at working with actors. But he's also very dry. He's a very British <laughs> sensibility uh, to him. So, like, I'm not too excited about 1917, to tell you the truth, simply because, uh, you know, like Sam Mendes, I just feel like he's a he's a boring <laughs> filmmaker. You think all the ex- most exciting parts are in the trailer? <laughs> with him running down the trench with the bombs going yeah, out? Yeah, and, and plus, you know, it's funny because I didn't know that it was also going to be in real time. I, um, so, like, uh, one of the... Uh, kind of forefront of real-time movies. I don't know if you guys remember this film. It was with Johnny Depp. It was called Nick of Time. Mm. And it was with Johnny Depp and Christopher Walken. Nope. And look it up sometime because <laughs> like it, it, it was its big thing when it came out in theaters was like it was a real-time film. Basically, Johnny Depp's character uh, has like, I think, 90 minutes to do something and the movie is 90 minutes long. And so like everything that happens in the movie is, is done in real time. And I... It, I don't think it's a good movie, but it's uh, uh, it's one of those movies that I think it was made in the early 90s or late 80s where um, it was kind of on the forefront of, of real-time storytelling as well. So there's a lot of interesting films out there that you can find that do these types of things really well. But I feel like 1917, it, it's going to be... Um, they're going to rely on CGI a lot to hide uh, a lot of their mistakes. The only thing I can think of for as far as the one-shot things is that hallway battle scene in the the fight scene from the oh, daredevil. daredevil yeah yeah that was awesome it was amazing the um so oh and quick 
quick shout out to Tom and Baratheon is in this movie in 1917. He's one of the soldiers, the one of the main soldiers in the movie. I recognize his face and I was like, yeah, you, po- freaking, you pointed that out to me yeah, in the theater. I'm like, that's freaking Tom and Baratheon. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I, I was like, you mean the actor didn't really die? Yeah, the no, show? he didn't jump out of the window and just be like, <laughs> oh, season eight. <laughs> I'm just going to retire from acting now. We can cuss on this? <laughs> I should bleep that out. <laughs> okay. I, have said that. I would talk a lot more. <laughs> this, is a, this is a family, family-oriented podcast. <laughs> um, Speaking of family-oriented, I wanted to cover one more topic. Go for it. What's up? Um, uh, Mr. Matt Vader and I both know that the salty nerd is a huge Jurassic Park fan. Oh, super. Everything Jurassic. <laughs> uh, about won- those dinosaurs. Yeah. His, There's a book on my shelf Colin, right there. Colin Trevorrow is his boyfriend. <laughs> it's, it's a celebrity hall pass. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park <laughs> Shill. Yeah, yeah. Dr- yeah, Mr. Shill. Yeah. So, um, but uh, news came out recently uh, about the casting of the original uh, trio from the Jurassic Park uh, movies to the Jurassic World 3. So basically, Sam Neill... Laura Dern and uh, Jeff Goldblum are reprising their roles from the original film in Jurassic World 3. And it's not going to be one of those trickery things like they did with the last movie where, uh, you know, Ian Malcolm shows up for two seconds. Apparently, they're going to have very um, solid roles in in this upcoming film. But more interestingly than that, I actually did a video about this, is... I watched it. It, it was appe- 11 minutes long. Yes, it appears. <laughs> not 45? Not 45. Oh, good. I, I might <laughs> yeah. watch that one. Okay. <laughs> I'm not as big of a Jurassic fan, so <laughs> yeah, shorter gave, video. Uh, you gave that other subject 45 minutes. You gave Jurassic 11 minutes. I was like, well, I had a lot to say about Kevin Feige. <laughs> so, uh, but um, the more interesting thing here is that it looks like because Universal Studios knows that Jurassic World is a, is a big franchise, it's got lots of fans, and they're in desperate need of uh, hit franchises. The only real hit that they have going right now is the Fast and Furious franchise. It looks like, it looks like um, they're going to be setting the stage for multiple spinoffs in a possible cinematic universe for the Jurassic World, all led by... Salty Nerd's boyfriend, Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> and so Trevorrow is basically set to kind of be the Kevin Feige for the Jurassic series. And he's going to be overseeing all the different spinoffs and entries into it, in addition to kind of being the Spielberg-like director for um, you know the, the, main, uh, fr- uh, the main series in the franchise. So what I want to know is, Alex, what do you think of that? Um, I have a lot of positive things to say about Colin Trevorrow. I understand that you are a bit critical of his writing and some of his movies aren't um, great, but that's okay because nobody can make top tier movies all the time except for like three people. Even George Lucas can't do it. Um, I will say that he was specifically chosen by Steven Spielberg to, to take on this role, which makes me happy. Um, he was also, as far as I can tell, on... Twitter, social media, he's great with fans. He loves co- talking with fans. He interacts with them really well. Um, he takes criticism really well, too. There was a, uh, one of the quotes that he said. He was like, sometimes Jurassic fans will hold my feet to the fire, and that's a good thing. He takes all that stuff in stride, not like some other directors that we know of. And uh, I appreciate all that. He, I think he genuinely loves this franchise and this, this IP, and I think he'll want to do it right. Uh, so far, I've enjoyed... Um, the two movies that have come out, I understand Fallen Kingdom's got some issues and, I, and that's fine. I, I didn't, I gave it like a six out of 10, I think, um, when I reviewed it. This fly is pissing me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think he's learning 
as he goes. I know that uh, he didn't actually want to make Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom. Uh, he he wanted to start off where we're coming up to on Jurassic World 3, where the dinosaurs are already out. They're loose in the world, which is where JP3 left off. You see the dinosaurs flying off the island. And yep. it's insinuated that they're going to be taking over the world. I don't, know, I don't know why the studio felt like they needed to revamp the whole franchise from the beginning. Because Jurassic World is basically it's Jurassic probably Park. Kathleen Kennedy's idea. It was not. <laughs> she was. Uh, she was the producer on that one. <laughs> Don't speak those words. <laughs> um, but I think. I think now that he's got kind of the franchise where he wants it, I think there's a lot of potential. We have a, a cartoon coming out on Netflix. I think next year um, called Camp Cretaceous, which is going to be more amped towards uh, kids. It's going to be a cartoon about these kids at a kind of like this getaway um, Boy Scouts type thing at Jurassic World during the time when the Indominus Rex escapes. And it's going to be about these kids that have to come together and try and survive and get off the island. So I think there's going to be a lot of more, a lot more properties that are going to be coming out. And I'm glad that Colin is the guy in charge of it all. Because yeah, I think... He also released a short film recently. Oh my God, oh, that was so really good. good. Yeah. So good. Granted, it's only eight minutes long and you can nitpick eight minutes out of any, <laughs> any Jurassic movie. You can nitpick eight minutes out of any Jurassic movie and, and it'll be fantastic. Every movie that's come out has had at least eight minutes that is really good. So that doesn't really speak to how the movies are going to end up or the, or Jurassic world three. But I think the way that he's incorporating more of what Michael Crichton had in his books, he's being true to the source material about uh, these dinosaurs escaping. These dinosaurs are, are taking over the world. Life and finds a way. Life finds a way. This, the, whole, the whole theme behind Michael Crichton's two books uh, that Spielberg arguably dropped the ball on. With, with Once the Lost World came out, they had this, this weird Godzilla-type thing where he goes to the city and then they just leaves. Well, they were making the movie <laughs> while Crichton was writing the book, so yeah. they didn't actually have anything to draw from. Was, I, I'm not a huge fan of The Lost World, especially that segment where they didn't, they, they didn't just go all out and have him escape into the wilderness, which I think is what they should have done. And then Jurassic World 3, or Jurassic Park 3, uh, they went back to the island, which I think was a mistake also. I think they should have stayed out, which is it's where Colin's taking this story. So... More power to them. Where do I sign up? Universal <laughs> streaming service, $8 a month. I'm down. Let's go. I'll drop HBO. They're not making anything good anymore. The Dinosaur anyway. Channel. <laughs> the Dinosaur, the Dinosaur channel. channel. I'm sold. The Jurassic Channel. Or even if Universal signs a, a contract with Netflix or somebody, which is where this cartoon's coming out on Netflix. It's so, I mean, I'm all for it, man. Well, I, I think uh, Universal, uh, after the implosion of the Dark Universe, the proposed Dark Universe, where they were going to take... I was so looking forward to that. I was we're, too, man. I, I was looking forward to it too, but Alex Kurtzman really just kind of <laughs> dropped the ball on that one. Oh, um, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could talk about the history of the Dark <laughs> Universe. I'll leave, that, I'll leave that for your channel. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, the implosion of the Dark Universe really left uh, Universal kind of uh, uh, up in the air simply because they were... Like that was what they were planning their future around, and when audiences resoundingly rejected it, and the Mummy was like this huge box office flop and stuff like that, um, I think that they kind of fell back on Fast and Furious, and they're looking for like something to kind of replace that void that Dark Universe left, and it looks like they're looking at Jurassic as a as the the replacement for that. I'm all right. Well, you that. know, Jurassic, Jurassic, a Jurassic movie universe is going to be fine it's what what studios want to do now and and it's a popular ip and everybody likes dinosaurs so it's yeah as long as they keep it fresh maker, like know? i can yeah, understand absolutely. i can understand a, um being a little worried about it because where's the story going to go you know once you have dinosaurs off the island the only thing i can think of and i don't know if they're going to do this or not it's just my my own head brain 
is dinosaurs start taking over the world, like literally taking yeah. over. They I can see they like, have, a, like a Walking Dead type TV series where you have survivors oh and, God. and, and I, dinosaurs I cool. instead of zombies. I, I was thinking more along the lines of like, um, of like Planet of the Apes. Not Planet of the Apes as in like the apes have taken over. Not that dinosaurs are going to become intelligent like human beings, but like just humans in pockets of areas where dinosaurs are now the apex predators around the world and you, you can't go anywhere without risking your life. There was a, um, a TV show that, that failed epically. It was called, um, the, the zoo. No, it was, uh, they went back in time and they went to earth prime. Oh, what was yeah, it called? Um, prime. Oh, I remember prime I, Nova I, or something like Terra, Nova prime, Terra Nova, Terra Nova. That was a Terra Nova. It would be, it'd be produced similar. by Steven Spielberg. Yes. Terra Nova. Terrible. <laughs> it was, it was yes. not great, but it, it was had, basically lost in space, but lost in, in uh, Earth, yeah, uh, the Jurassic period. But they had it had some potential. I love that show because it had dinosaurs in it. Yeah. it well, it had that like, guy from uh, Avatar. Yes, it uh, did. The one badass guy. Yeah, and uh, it had a lot of potential. I, I like the the dynamic of people living in this community, and if they go outside the community, they get chased down by raptors or T Rexes, and they have to try to like figure out a way to well, survive. I mean, like, in that the world. whole premise was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's go back in time. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that change why yeah. you're even here in the well, first place? Well, the whole, the whole point of going back to the Jurassic period was like, eventually they would be wiped out just like the dinosaurs and nothing would change. <laughs> but considering the fact that uh, humanity ended up destroying the ecosystem of the earth, which, is, which necessitated them going back in time, changing time probably wouldn't have been a bad thing <laughs> at that point. But then you get into all the, the time travel yeah. wonkiness. It was um, a, it was a goofy show and yeah. it, it played a little bit too much like a soap opera. Like there was a lot of inner politics that just didn't work. Yeah. It might've been more interesting to do something more like they did with earth Two, where you have like a group of, of people who go to a different planet and it could have been like that with dinosaurs and stuff instead of having to do time travel yeah. because that just opens up all types of, yeah. of issues. But anyway, I don't, like I said, I don't know where they're going to go with Jurassic. Uh, I hope they go someplace new and exciting, and I hope they keep it alive. And I don't even care if they do prequels where they explore Site B during the time between um, Jurassic Park and I The Lost World. I hope they get like a digital uh, Richard Attenborough at some point, <laughs> and like how I they want, did with Tarkin. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I want video games, man. I'm telling Universal right now. I want Alien Isolation, but with dinosaurs. Like, give me that game. Get or, the studio. MMO. Yeah, give, get the studio that uh, that did Alien Isolation to make a Jurassic Park uh, game, and I will, I will buy that you know, today. The, the, the funny thing about uh, dinosaurs taking over the earth, like with our modern military technology, I think we could probably take down the dinosaurs yeah, pretty quick. Okay, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be yeah. something that they're going to have to figure out how to write around. You know what would have been cool though is like, um, are, are you guys familiar with uh, Tarok, the dinosaur hunter? The game, comic book. It was comic it was book. a comic book at first. It was a Valiant comic, and uh, it got adapted into a video game. But uh, I think that, that that would be kind of be a cool movie franchise startup too, um, where you see like you know guys hunting dinosaurs. There was um, there's a book. It's called Primal War. It's a it's um, it's on Amazon, I think, and they're I think they're in the process of making an audiobook for it. But it's about uh, the Vietnam War, and this this uh, troop of marines or something gets stranded in some kind of crazy valley they get lost and they end up in this valley and there's still dinosaurs there's like a lost valley lost world type thing <laughs> and they end up having to survive in this place and they're getting hunted by like raptors and dinosaurs and stuff it's a re- it, i read the uh the little excerpt that came with it when kind of sounds like Kindle. that last king kong movie that came yeah. out it sounds really cool like I, re- I was reading it i was like this sounds like an interesting premise so they could do stuff like that too you know they could have like little pockets of areas where dinosaurs are, are thriving people stumble into kind of like what they did with uh, Battle at Big Rock where these family was just camping and all of a sudden, hey, here's a freaking dinosaur walking <laughs> through my campfire. <laughs> kind of going along with that. Um, one more topic, if, if I may. 
Uh, how how bad does this Jason Momoa show C oh, look? I don't get Apple that. TV. Apple TV, yeah. <laughs> like like Apple TV's original series, they they have this this original series starring Jason Jason Momoa where all of humanity has become blind, and all of a sudden there are these there there are these two children born who apparently have the power of sight, and they have to be protected from the rest of human society uh, because they feel that uh, children who or people who can see is some type of abomination now on on its on surface on the surface so like th- this is actually based on a uh, the reason i bring this up is it's based on a story i i think called um uh i forget the name of it but it was about this this guy who stumbled into like a hidden pocket hidden society where everyone was blind and because he could see he thought that he could rule these people but it turns mm-hmm. out that the people who were blind uh, were more powerful than him because they outnumbered him, but they also like had enhanced senses in you know other ways, and so he was at a disadvantage in there. And uh, uh, I, I think it was in the Land of the Blind, uh, the One-Eyed Man is King, or something like that. That was the name of the the, the book. Um, but uh, this show seems to be kind of based on that, but it just seems so ridiculously yeah, stupid. I, I have so many questions after watching that questions? trailer. Um, how do they hunt? the animals that they make their caveman clothes out of how do they do the markings on their bodies to you know they have because they have like ritual scars and tattoos and stuff how do they how does his how does he know his kids can see if he's blind it makes no sense (laughs) the whole the whole thing how does he stop six inches away from the cliff before careening off it to his death you know i just i just see Jason Momoa grunting around like he's Jason Momoa. So, you know, it's it's fine. Jason Momoa is cool. I like Yeah, him. I like him. I think but, he's uh, a good a- I mean, not a good actor, but I think he's good in his, in the movies that he's he chooses. He's good at playing Conan type yeah, roles, right? He's good so, at yeah, stuff. Um, I, he could fit Aquaman. into like Yeah, he could fit in well, with like know. The Rock and Jason Statham sure, and do a Fast and Furious movie. He's, he's The Rock Jr. right now. Yeah, so. he's awesome. Which is fine. It's cool. I like But this movie looks awful. It's a series. It's a series. Okay, this series looks awful. And it does not make me want to buy Apple Plus even though I get it for free. Yeah. I yeah. found out I get it for free because yeah, I have you get an it Apple. for one year free. Yeah, I'm like I'm not gonna watch that show. <laughs> it's like he's he's literally he's he's standing over his kids. He goes like, oh, these kids can see. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I wondered. Oh, like, it's like, weird. How did they? <laughs> how did? How did what, was it fake news? Where where are these kids blind and they're just like, oh, they can see? Prove me wrong. <laughs> I meanwhile, I'm going to go out and hunt some woolly mammoths so I can, like, you know, yeah, make yeah, clothes. Like, and in, instead stuff. of the, the kids being babies, my, it would have made sense here, if they my, were toddlers. And they, were like, <laughs> and they, they were like, oh, blue, or like, yeah. oh, like, look at that. Somebody said something like, how can they know that? Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, dude. This, movie, this show looks dumb. I'm wondering if they're going to, like, try to explain anything. I'm sure they in, will. In they the have show. to. It's too <laughs> obvious not to. I just don't, I don't have, it. that trailer was just like, But, but it, it's kind of funny because, like, when you watch the trailer, like, there's a scene that's obviously leading up to some type of great battle. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of blind it, people trying to hit each other. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like unless, unless the, the, these are uh, Zorto Ashi, the the blind swordsman level of of competence here, where you know you have like daredevil super senses. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chew it. You know, he had this force or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, you know, unless you have that going on in, in the show, I don't see how any of this is, is going to be. You know, people aren't aren't going to have a hard time suspending their was it the, disbelief. The book of, book of Eli, right? With uh, yeah, um, Daniel, what is it? Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington. Denzel. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, that that was really a, a good use of like a like a Zatoichi kind of blind warrior mm-hmm. type uh, type character. But in this show, 
all of them have to be like that. All of them have to be at that level. <laughs> it's not one special person. Yeah, yeah, it's everybody. Ex- exactly. So like I could see maybe like if the thing that made humanity blind also gave them super senses um, to, to deal with their their new situation, maybe pulling maybe. it off. But like, oh my God, the, this show just looks so terrible. <laughs> it does. I'm sorry. I can't believe like uh, Apple is kind of... Uh, they're lo- leading lo- lo- on, yeah. Yeah, lead- leading with their... Uh, well, they're, they're going off Jason Momoa's name i guess you know i don't think that would be enough he's pretty big name right now all right before we're we're like an hour and a half so we're gonna wrap this up um anybody have any final thoughts or are we good we've talked a lot yeah we've talked about a lot of stuff Kadish has talked a lot. <laughs> Sorry. So, no, that's fine. I got to sort through. Is this now the Kadish podcast? No, no. We're good. Good. <laughs> I told you, like, you're going to do a lot of talking. So, well, it's fine. Wise and knowledgeable, you guys. That's why I'm the smarmy smartass, and Kadish is the. Uh, the guy that knows his yeah. stuff. Vader, so. Vader's older than me, but you both make me feel way older. <laughs> I've seen this stuff, and your guys are like, oh, I don't know what it is. What's who's Hitchcock? Who's Hitchcock? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have gotten up and left. Oh, yeah. I'd have just no. been like done. I know. Anyway, all right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, and uh, we will be making this a regular thing. I know I say that every podcast, but <laughs> this will actually be a regular thing that I'm doing. And then uh, if I ever get Dusty to come back, we will do the the breakdowns and the the three-hour-long, crazy, in-depth podcast. Maybe Matt can join us since you're so knowledgeable. Happy to. Um, And I have three mics now. I'll come watch. (laughs) You just learn something. Hey, what's up, guys? (laughs) I'm going to sit over here and drink. Matt Vader, the one answer man. What do you think of this, Matt? Nah, it's stupid. Good. (laughs) Bad. (laughs) 